Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, today we're going to kind of cover the end of the season, the 2037 season. Uh, we'll cover how the playoffs ended up and the awards, although I think I covered those a little bit last episode, so we'll go through that pretty quick. Uh, then we'll hit a couple of the of the development trait news. Uh, a few people changed uh, or improved their development traits at the end of the year when they got awards and things like that. And maybe we missed a few of those, but uh, that's okay with me. Um, and then we will cover, uh, of course, everybody's favorite, draft grades. And then we have a very interesting user question, which I have quite a bit to say about. So that'll be fun. Let's get to the end of the year. So I don't remember what all I've covered as far as playoff games go. Uh, so I'm just going to go to the conference championship games, and I don't remember them very well either. So this will be just fantastic journalism here. Uh, but we had the Patriots beating or the Browns beating the Patriots in the AFC championship game, 49 to 10. I don't think I even watched that game. Uh, I guess I'll just look at the stats really fast, see if there's anything interesting. Uh, Thornhill threw eight interceptions. All right, well, I guess that's about all we need to know about that. Uh, we'll go to the Packers and Panthers and the NFC Championship game. This was a pretty good game. Uh, this is a 21-13 win for the Packers. Uh, what I'm remembering, the Panthers... Took an early 10-0 lead. Uh, one of those scores uh, came after they forced a fumble on a kickoff return. A uh, big uh, hit stick on the kickoff returner, and he fumbled it. The Panthers had a really good field position. I think that's uh, when they got a touchdown there. Uh, so they went ahead 10-0. Um, but then a couple interceptions kind of later in the game. even things out there. Uh, the end of the first half, there were... Interceptions going back and forth a few times. I think the Packers took a 14-10 lead by halftime. Uh, but I don't remember exactly. Um, the Packers played pretty conservatively in this game and and really played uh, pretty safe and, and did well. Corcoran didn't even have 200 yards passing, um, but their defense really did the job with the turnovers. And... Uh, for the Panthers, it was a few bad interceptions that really uh, did them in. A couple big plays from the Packers put them ahead. Jalen Albury had a long touchdown uh, reception, and so did Bo Nicholas. So a couple explosive plays did the scoring for the Packers, and then they kind of cruised from there. Uh, so 21-13. Um, I don't know what the Panthers' quarterback plans are going forward. Lafferty was not great in this game. Uh, so we'll see if that's a different team heading into the playoffs, hopefully, next year. Uh, also had a, some trouble getting that game started because both teams kept wearing weird jersey colors. For some reason, couldn't get that figured out. Uh, and then the Super Bowl was the Packers and Browns. This was a very good game, I thought. Uh, Cleveland won 27-17. Uh, big difference here was 
I, I'd say the difference was turnovers, but really the story of this game was pressure on the quarterback. The Browns put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, one particular instance of pressuring the quarterback directly resulted in an interception. Uh, and they really kind of hurried Corcoran getting the ball out all game. I thought Corcoran really played pretty well under those, those circumstances. Uh, did have three interceptions. The the one that uh, he, he was hit as he was throwing was one of them. And then one at the end of the game that just didn't really matter uh, as the Packers were trying to go get a touchdown to make it a closer game. Uh, we'll talk about the third here in a minute. Uh, Cleveland played pretty safe on offense. Didn't have very many offensive plays. The Packers had the ball for most of this game, seemed like. Um, but I believe Evan Lane might have gone, I guess I can look at it, I think he might have gone without throwing an incompletion. Uh, he did have a fumble on a scramble, did not did not slide when he got into the open field, and one guy went for a big hit on him and missed, but the next guy didn't, and he fumbled, and that set up the, the Packers for what I believe ended up being a touchdown. Uh, I'm not sure, yeah. Uh, Evan Lane went 9-for-9 nine nine throwing the ball. So efficient, not necessarily explosive. Um, they did get a long run from Rucker. Uh, and the Packers got kind of a workmanlike game out of Tavares Johnson. So, like I said, the, the big story was the Packers didn't get a lot of pressure on the Browns, and the Browns got a lot of pressure on the Packers. Um was a questionable moment for the Browns after the first interception. Uh, they were in field goal range, and on fourth and one, they went for it and then did a drop-back pass and got sacked. Um, so that was a big moment that really kept the game close. That could have given the Browns uh, an early lead and a big boost in momentum there. Um, but they did get the job done. Uh, the decisive play was probably under two minutes to go, if I remember right. And uh, the Packers, it was tied at 17, and the Packers were driving, uh, looking for the go-ahead score. And Tavares Johnson on a crossing route kind of bumped into a defender or something, and he kind of stopped and he kind of started. And it, it ended up being just a weird deal where there was a miscommunication or something between quarterback and receiver. And uh, whatever the case may be that ball ended up going right to a defender uh, who only had to beat offensive linemen to score a touchdown. So a pick six put the Browns ahead and, and really was the decisive factor in the game. So that is kind of a disappointing way for a team to lose a game, kind of a uh, anticlimactic, if you will, way for the game to be decided. But at least it was a close game and pretty well played throughout. So congratulations to the Browns with another Super Bowl victory, and well-earned. Uh, I think there's going to be a different Browns team next year, so that'll be interesting to see uh, how that turns out. So real quick, I'll run through the awards, because some of those may have resulted in increased development traits, although most of these awards... Went to guys that are already X-Factors and things like that. So NFL MVP was Lamar Thornhill, uh, followed in voting by Evan Lane and Phil Corcoran. Uh, Coach of the Year, they did not hand that out this year. That's too bad. 
Uh, in the AFC, Offensive Player of the Year was Thornhill. Defensive Player of the Year was Ace York for the Browns. Offensive Rookie, Bubba Burley for the Raiders. Who cares? D- defensive Rookie was for the Bulls. Uh, quarterback of the Year was Thornhill. Running, uh, running Back of the Year was Teron Strong for the Chiefs, who became an X-Factor. So that's cool. Uh, Michael Sharp for the Browns was the Receiver of the Year. Best offensive lineman was Christian Dealman for the Browns. So the top vote getters in the offensive linemen, uh, the first six of them are all Browns and Patriots. So good offensive lines for those teams. Uh, linebacker of the year, Ace York. And that's it for the AFC awards. Uh, in the NFC, uh, offensive player of the year was Phil Corcoran. Defensive player of the year, Julius Brackett. Those two players just own those awards. Offense Rookie of the Year, Mac Castle, the uh, rookie running back for the Panthers, really hurt the Panthers that they did not have him for the playoff game. It really allowed the Packers to key on the passing game and not worry about the running game so much. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Jarvis Howard, outside linebacker for the Packers. Uh, Corcoran won Quarterback of the Year. Uh, Receiver of the Year, Deontay James for the Packers. He became a star because of that. Offensive Lineman of the Year, Jeremiah Sweeney. Defensive Lineman of the Year, Devontae Todd of the uh, Panthers. Julius Brackett won Linebacker of the Year. And those are the NFC awards. So looking at some of the development traits, uh, I mentioned uh, Deontay James moving up to a star because of his award. Let's check out Teron Strong for the Chiefs. Uh, becoming an X-Factor, let's look at uh, what kind of abilities and things he gained from that. Uh, this is a speedy running back who's used a lot in the passing game and is pretty elusive. He's got the first one free ability, so if he gets in the zone, he's going to juke people out uh, pretty much automatically on his first juke. Uh, he's also got the jukebox ability. I think I may have already covered this in the last podcast. Uh, still has an empty ability slot, so the Chiefs need to get him up to 90 to, to find out what that'll be and uh, make the most of that. He's a 95 speed, fourth year player. He should be getting up to 90 anytime. So let's see, we covered Tron Strong. Uh, Lyle Walker going to X Factor for the Panthers. Uh, again, this is a K State player. The Panthers GM loves those K State players. Uh, tends to be a big K-State fan, I think. And Lyle Walker has the Mossed ability, which seems to be the ability that all the Panthers receivers get. Uh, they're downfield threats, so he can... Uh, if he gets in the zone, he's got increased um, success rate on aggressive catches, like 55 yards downfield, something like that. Uh, this is a very fast guy, 96 speed, 93 acceleration, uh, 92 agility. Gets in and out of breaks really quickly. Tough guy to cover right there. Uh, he's an in-and-out elite as well. And then uh, for the Patriots, Max Goodwin becomes an X-Factor. The Patriots losing a couple of receivers in free agency this year. So uh, that's a big development for them. And Max Goodwin uh, also has the Mossed ability. So... A lot of Mossed guys out in the league right now that can uh, win aggressive catches if you can get them in the zone, which means you got to pile up a bunch of 30-yard catches uh, during the game. 
Uh, he's also a post-flag elite and a streak specialist. So that is a downfield threat right there. 94 speed for him. So that should cover uh, the development traits there. I'm sure there are probably a couple others. If you guys want me to tack them on to the next podcast, go ahead and send them to me and, and we'll cover them. And now it's time for draft grades. This is everyone's favorite part of the show. They're very important. Everyone around the league and the front offices and big decision makers for NFL teams, they listen to this segment. Um, they really judge their their team builders by these draft grades. And this can make or break people's careers. Uh, how they, how uh, If they're scouts or GMs, it can make or break their careers based on what their draft grades are. This is very important stuff. Of course, this is a very scientific process. Okay, can't argue with science. Uh, we have a very complex algorithm developed by uh, the top physicists in the world and former NASA scientists and mathematicians. Uh, I'm not naming any names, but uh, one of the people who helped develop this algorithm may have uh, been a guy who passed away recently. Um, who was in a wheelchair and really couldn't move uh, any of his body, but known as a very, very smart man. So you know that this is serious stuff uh, and that this algorithm will get the draft grades right and correctly predict uh, how well these teams have chosen players. So uh, there you have it. And I will give my opinion on the draft picks and then give the draft grade that we've come up with. And I did not screenshot all of these like I normally have in the past. So I don't have exactly uh, who was picked in what round. I'll just have to go off the top of my head as I scroll through everybody's rosters uh, looking at their youngest players. So we'll start with the Packers because I'm on the the Packers roster right now. In the first round they took uh, Dominique Meeks, uh, left outside linebacker to be a pass rusher. Uh, pretty good pick. He's a hidden development trait. 73 overall right now. He will develop pretty quickly. A good speed rusher for him. And the Packers, uh, like pass rushers, needed another one probably. So they go pass rusher there. And then in the second round, they get uh, one of the best tackles in the draft. Uh, he's going to start immediately at right tackle, Kiwan Lowe. Uh, and then perhaps the heir apparent to Tavares Johnson, Jerome Borrell, at running back, 237-pound uh, running back. So that was an excellent pick. Uh, then uh, Randall Henderson at safety, who will probably be a sub-package performer. And who else? Uh, another lineman at one point. Uh, Zach Collins, 94-speed receiver, who they'll be able to do some things with. Um, so a little bit of depth, maybe some spots that they wanted to hit that they maybe didn't. Um, but overall, very good draft for the Packers. Two immediate starters right off the bat, and then a couple more contributors. The Packers get an A+. Moving on now to the Panthers, because they're the very next team uh, in the list as I run down. And the first one that sticks out to me is a punter. The Panthers took a punter, uh, Oliver Robertson. 69 overall punter. That's a pretty high rating off the bat for a punter, so that's a pretty good pick. Um, and then in their uh, effort, they didn't quite do it, but in an effort to 
complete what we call the Patriot trifecta. Uh, they also took a fullback, a 70 overall fullback, so pretty good grade for a fullback there too. Obviously, I had a first-round grade, but it's a fullback, so uh, maybe not that valuable of a pick. Uh, Nathan Murphy at fullback. He'll be a decent fullback. Don't know how much they're going to use him. Uh, we've got Anthony Harvey at defensive end. Uh, good pick, Gerard Hopkins at center. I think this was a third-round pick, 69 overall. Uh, this guy should be able to contribute if they want to get him on the field. If not, he'll be good trade bait later. Of course, the highlight of this draft class for the Panthers is the number one overall pick, Jimmy Griffith, at quarterback. This is a big guy, 6'4", 235, he's a strong-arm quarterback. Uh, let's look at some of his traits here. Throwing the ball, if I can find them. Deep route running, I don't care about that. Okay, uh, short accuracy, 80, 85 mid-accuracy, 79 deep accuracy. Yeah, that's, that's all right. You know, for a rookie starting out, uh, those things will have to improve, uh, particularly the deep accuracy if they want to go down the field. Throwing under pressures in the high 70s as well as break sack and play action and some of those things, those are all good signs for a young quarterback. And what did I say? I think he's 76 overall to start off with. So uh, this is a very good pick for the Panthers. Uh, there's a a pretty good future there for him. And then uh, looks like probably going to be a depth play for Denard Blade, the corner that they took. Uh, he's a 67 overall, but he, he should be able to fill in in that secondary and help out in a number of places, maybe a slot corner. And then Tayroy, no, not Tayroy Glover or Tayroy Jackson or something like that, just Tayroy. Uh, right tackle, pretty good pick, 72 overall. I don't know if he's going to play or not. Uh, but the other highlight of this draft for the Panthers was Jalon Walker at tight end, uh, one of the highest rated players in the draft. At 86, 86 speed for a tight end, and 78 overall. Uh, he's going to be a stud. He's going to play immediately. He's going to contribute immediately. Uh, so a really good pick there. Great draft by the Panthers, I would say. This was a really great draft by them. They get a B plus. Moving on to the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots lost some receivers this year, so they wanted to go get a receiver. Uh, also got some pass rushers here, so one of them is Mike Dickens. Left in, 69 overall. He's probably going to play quite a bit. Uh, got a quarterback, Jordan Young. And Melvin Wynn at defensive tackle is 67 overall. Eh, could be better. Um, uh, Javier Jackson at corner, uh, 69 overall. He's got 93 speed. Uh, if he gets on the field, I'll bet he develops pretty well. Uh, Duran Boone uh, was a fairly highly rated receiver, a six foot six receiver, and the Patriots have converted him to tight end. He's a 74 overall tight end right now. He's got 85 speed. So you pair him with Hamlin and Two former receivers for the Patriots at tight end. Be interesting to see how they use them. Uh, that could be a, a pretty fun offense to keep an eye on uh, if the Patriots know how to deploy those resources. And then the first round pick, Harmon McGriff at outside linebacker. This is a pass rushing outside linebacker. Uh, 85 speed. He's a 73 overall. That'll probably work out pretty well. 
So uh, not too bad of a draft here for uh, the Patriots. Uh, I also see a center in there. There's a, another corner. Uh, so some depth in these other places. Grayson Wells, 71 overall, left guard. Could be a player at some point. Uh, so let's see. I, I don't know how many of these guys are starters. McGriff probably will be. And uh, Boone will probably play. And Javier Jackson at corner. He should play at some point. So some contributors there. I don't know how many of these guys are starters. Uh, and because I don't know if the Patriots are actually going to start some of them, because uh, they kind of haven't in the past, uh, that's going to hold down their draft grade a little bit. They get a B-. minus. Moving on to who's next, the Browns. Look at the Browns draft. Uh, they were picking very high. Team in need of a quarterback after trading Evan Lane, which was just a shocker. I don't know if it really was a shocker, but uh, according to Twitter and the game, it was. Uh, let's see, they got Terrell Herrick at right tackle, 68 overall. I don't remember what round he was drafted. Uh, drafted a couple of speedy rookie receivers and corners. Not all of them were very skilled, but the highest pick they had, Ralph Frederick, uh, 6'2 corner from Baylor that's got 94 speed, 93 acceleration, 86 agility. Uh, he's going to be pretty good. Uh, that was a good pick for them. Uh, one of those kind of no-brainer picks that you don't want to overthink, and if you don't overthink it, then it turns out really well. Looks like that's how this is going to turn out. Uh, Heisman winner as well. Uh, Heisman winner as a receiver, if I remember right, so maybe they can try to play in both sides of the ball and then get him hurt. Uh, so Ralph Frederick, the, the big pickup for the Browns there, and, and he's going to be a star. Let's see, who else did they take? I know they took a quarterback at some point. Uh, I don't see him. Oh, here we go. Adrian Gonzalez, 23-year-old quarterback. That's why it took a little while to scroll to him. Uh, this is going to be a project for him, um, but the Browns can probably do it. And he's got a lot of weapons to work with, so he should be able to pile up stats and develop quickly. Uh, six foot six quarterback. He's currently a seventy overall. Normal development trait. Um, so it'll it'll take a little while once they can get him some development games and improve that development trait. Then he'll start to develop. Uh, but it might go a little bit slow at first. Yeah, let's see if we can see some of his abilities here. Uh, all his accuracy stats are right around 80. Um, and break sack, uh, throwing on the run, throwing under pressure, all that's around 70. So yeah, a little bit of work to do. He he's certainly no, um, whatever his name was, it, not quite up to par with the Panthers quarterback that they took. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this works out for the Browns uh, if they're near the end of the year going, man, I wish we had a quarterback on this team, or, or if they're, they're coaching him along. Uh, we also got Eric Schumer at right tackle, 68 overall. guy named Gordon Brewster at tight end, 67. Uh, I don't know how much any of these guys are going to play. So this, one, this draft for the Browns really is about offensive line depth and uh, Frederick at corner and what was his name, Gonzalez? Uh, yeah, Gonzalez at quarterback. And we 
don't know how Gonzalez is going to turn out, to be honest. So the Browns get a B-. Uh, would have been much higher if they had had anything that was really exciting to go along with Frederick, who was really an A-plus pick. Uh, lastly, the Chiefs. The Chiefs were picking, I think, number two, and went out and they got Dylan Nixon at quarterback. And he's already a team captain. He's 72 overall, scrambling quarterback. So he's got 87 speed. He's going to be able to run around a bunch. Uh, the Chiefs really like that in a quarterback. Uh, I don't always see them getting very many rushing statistics with the quarterback. Uh, but he will have the ability to run around. He's a hidden development trait, so that's exciting. Uh, that's the highlight of their draft there. Uh, another big one is Rayshon Roland, a highly rated middle linebacker. Uh, he's got pretty good speed. He's going to be a good player. I think he's a run-stopping linebacker. That was their other first-round pick, if I remember right. And then after that, this draft gets a little iffy. We got one, two... Two players in the 50s that were taken. Uh, but uh, right outside linebacker Vince Culberson is a 68 overall. And Deion Mack at defensive tackle I think was a pretty good pick. Uh, also a 68 overall. They'll pair him with Devontae Swede and uh, boost that defensive line a little bit. So I think really three good players there and another decent one. Uh, so not a bad draft for the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs get a B. All right, we have a listener question, and this is going to be fun. Uh, this is a real listener question, and it's pretty complicated. I'll talk about it for a little while. Uh, but this comes to us via Discord, and the question is from Excessive Griefer, who asks, how do we defeat the commissioner? The commissioner, of course, being the coach of the Browns, how do we defeat the Cleveland Browns, who have won uh, five Super Bowls in a row, maybe? Something like that. Uh, wants to know how to beat them. And I, I think maybe part of the reason they're winning so much, uh, that answer is right there in the question that they're the commissioner. They set up this league. They set the rules. And just so happens that they seem to uh, operate quite well under those rules. So... Might want to investigate that, but I, I'm going to take this as if you, you don't think there's any uh, funny business going on. Uh, Charles Davis on Twitter, on the game, thought there might be funny business going on. And that's not the first time I have seen tweets to that effect on the game. But I, I'm going to assume uh, the best here. And this is all on the up and up. And say that first, you need to go to his house... Next, you need to turn on this PlayStation, and then you need to run down all his controllers to where they have almost no uh, juice left, and then steal his USB cord so that he can't recharge them. Uh, that's, I think, probably a great way to do it. Uh, another great way would be to go into his team and begin editing his players. Now... We're not changing players' abilities. That would be too obvious, also against the rules. But you could go take their toughness and their injury settings down to, like, 10. And that might not get noticed. Uh, and then all his players will get hurt very early in the game. Uh, I think that's also a very good idea. 
But if I'm going to come at this from a football angle and actually talk about what's going on on the field, uh, I'm not going to just tell you exactly how to beat the Browns. And it's also noteworthy that no one in this league has a winning record against the Browns, so nobody actually knows exactly how to beat the Browns. Uh, But I can tell you what I I observe, and I'm not going to give you the keys to the car here. Some of this you got to learn on your own, but I'm going to tell you what I observe about the Browns. So we'll start with the Browns' offense. What do you do with the Browns' offense? Uh, This is probably going to be a pretty different Browns' offense, at least personnel-wise, coming up in the future. So things may change. They may be different than what they have been, but in the Browns' prime at the beginning of the year, or at the beginning of this franchise, and then in this later iteration with Evan Lane and all the weapons he's had, the Browns are going with basically two offensive formations. And that's it. It's the, uh, I don't remember the names of them. One of them is wing stack, something like that, where there are two tight ends on one side of the field and then two receivers on the other, and they're tight. They're both lined up tight to the formation, and they're close to each other and then a single back in the backfield. That's the under-center formation, and that's basically their running formation. And we'll cover that one first. So in that formation, the Browns, they're looking for a couple of different things. In the run game, they really want to run stretch run. So if they see a light box on either side of the center uh, where they can run stretch run, they're going to run there. So that's one of the first things you have to look for. And if you present a defense that gives the Browns a numbers advantage on either side of the ball, particularly that tight end side, uh, you better expect the stretch to be run to that side. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do about that because I don't always know, Uh, but I do know that your user player really needs to help out, needs to get over there and make tackles. As far as what defense to run, I I can't tell you. Uh, I'm of the opinion in that formation that you cannot give a light front to that Browns team. Um, So then in the passing game, uh, out of that formation, there's sometimes some play action, but usually if there is man coverage or possibly a cover two, some defense that does not leave a player that is above and maybe slightly outside of the tight end side, uh, they're very good at getting the tight end on a corner route to that side. So you have to do something to take away that. And on the other side, they'll make up the routes, but the the routes that they're really going to do is they're going to try to go down the seam with their big fast guy. Right now, that's Michael Sharp. Or try to find an out route uh, with another route, a deeper route, clearing it out. That's mostly what the Browns want to do out of that formation. There are some crossing routes occasionally. Uh, But they're they're looking for chunks of yards. Um, And so you've got to try to get defenders in spots that make those routes hard to complete. Uh, And it can be pretty tough to do. Uh, They will run in the middle if that is given to them, Um, but the running game is usually to the outside, and then the passing game is usually down the field to the receiver or to the outside on the receiver or tight end side. Um, And then the other formation you got to worry about, and I don't remember the name of this one either, but it's it's got a flexed or not a flexed, but a tight end off the off the line of scrimmage, right off the tackle, and then a wide receiver on the ball on that side, 
in the slot, and then a wide flanker on the same side. So there's three receivers to one side, and then on the other side you've got Michael Sharp. They run that side to the right most of the time. Uh, And then Michael Sharp is out on the left, and the running back's on the left. And if you scout the Browns, what you'll find is they really like a screen out of this. They will occasionally run a power play, uh, but but the screen is usually the substitute for the run game in this formation. Uh, they like to run the uh, play-action play. I think it's usually play-action, uh, where the outside receiver on the right is going to run a post, and then the inside receiver is going to run the wheel route. And that's a big shot that they'll go for deep. They usually keep the tight end to help protect uh, on those plays, and then run uh, receivers on digs or the deep ends to the middle of the field. Occasionally the tight end's going to cross and he'll end up in the shallow flats, or occasionally the running back is going to cross and end up in the shallow flats. So you've got to deal with that formation as well. This formation, uh, unlike the uh, under center formation, the under center formation, if you line up in man coverage, it's very obvious because both corners are going to go over on the side where the receivers are, and that's going to leave the tight end one-on-one with a safety or a linebacker. And if you're in zone, then that's very obvious because then there's not two corners uh, over with those two receivers. Uh, the shotgun formation, um, it's it's a little easier to switch between man and zone. Uh, but the things you got to do is, you, first of all, you always got to make sure that they just can't run right past you, uh, which the Browns have a bunch of speedy receivers, so that can be a tough thing to do. And then you got to play the screens. If you're not in man coverage, then uh, the Browns like that screen. If they don't know what zone they're looking at which they usually do but if they don't then they'll run a a screen uh, just to get the ball into a playmaker's hands out in space now Rucker is not with the Browns now so I don't know who that player is going to be maybe that'll be less of a weapon in their offense but we'll see Um, I lost my train of thought there oh so if they if they see zone, then the screen is a possibility. Against man, man coverage usually takes care of screens. Uh, but then you've got to worry about, especially if you're playing cover two man, it's very uh, obvious pre-snap that it's cover two man. And, and there's a lot of open space over the middle of the field usually against cover two man. So you got to do something to prevent the in-breaking routes. Um, I have seen several teams just get slaughtered by the Browns slot receiver running a post against cover two man. Um, so you got to do something about that. <clears throat> uh, that's probably enough X's and O's at, uh, to, to cover that. The important thing here is if the Browns know what coverage you are in pre-snap, they know which plays they like against those coverages. If it's like a cover three, they want to run outs at the sideline, or maybe a cover four, they want to run outs at the sideline. Cover two, they can beat you deep down the seam uh, if it's the wrong cover two. Cover two man, they're going to play in the middle. Uh, Those sorts of things. Um, So the biggest thing that at least helps slow down the Browns is you cannot let your coverage be obvious pre-snap. Make them read the coverage post-snap, when rushers are coming, when everybody's running around. Pre-snap, they know where they're going with the ball before it's even snapped, and that's awful tough to deal with. 
Uh, now, how do you do that? Well, you're just going to have to figure that out on your own. There are some things you can do in coaching adjustments, and I will say that pre-snap, if you learn the controls, you can change individual defenders' assignments pre-snap. So if you want to take a guy and you want to make him double a receiver, you can do that. If you want to take a guy that's blitzing and change his assignment to dropping into the hook-to-curl zone, you can do that. I haven't gotten good at it. Uh, I don't know if any of us have. I think it's really tough to do because you got to hit the controls quick. You don't have all that much time when you're playing defense. You're at the mercy of the offense when they snap the ball. Uh, but if you practice that, you might get pretty good at changing some individual defenders' assignments. And so they'll look like they're lined up in one coverage, but if you change their assignment, then they'll do something that the quarterback isn't expecting. Again, I don't know if anybody's going to get very good at doing that, but that is one thing that can be done. Um, and then, man, your user player has got to help you. Your, your, your user player has got to get in the way of the Browns' primary read if you can make it happen. And I've kind of outlined what some of their things they're looking for is, but if you really want to know what their primary read is, you got to watch a lot of their games and do the homework like uh, most guys do. Well, that was quite a bit of rambling about the Browns' offense. Let's talk about their defense. Uh, they do a pretty good job of mixing things up if they need to. If they don't, you're going to see cover one and a lot of man blitzes and man coverages. And they're going to try to sit somebody in the middle of the field and play tight coverage and make you throw it in the traffic. If you are dealing with a lot of cover one, you got to be able to complete passes outside the hash marks, out by the numbers. Uh, it's really helpful if you got some speedy guys that can get open on double moves if you can go down the field on things like that because uh, they're going to bring people after you and they're going to play tight man and it's tough to get open against them uh, especially in the middle I will say this latest Browns defense now they've lost some players from it but I thought this latest Browns defense if you could come up with an offense that was built on power and power running you should be able to beat them because they were light up front. Not a lot of big guys. They're very fast. They're always very fast, especially at the linebacker level. But not a lot of big guys that uh, should have been able to take on an offensive lineman, an offensive line that's going to go forward and block. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, the Packers tried to do that and they weren't able to do it a couple of times. So maybe that's tougher to do than I think. Uh, they're certainly going to put a bunch of people in the box. If you are in a formation that's very friendly to running, uh, so you got to be able to balance out some of that. And I think balance is a very uh, important part of playing against their defense. Uh, a second thing you need against the Browns defense is you have to be able to identify when the all-out blitz is coming. When they're bringing six or seven guys, uh, the pinch buck zeros and overstorm braves and things like that, you got to be able to identify it. And you got to have a plan for where you're going to go with the football. You also need to know that if you're going to go to the same place with the football every time, there's going to be a user defender there pretty often. So you maybe need to have more than one plan for where you're going to go with the football. Um, and you need good players to beat their defense. You just won't do it if you don't have players that can match up a little bit with theirs. And the final tip for playing against the Browns defense is... Do not throw to the player that's being covered by the user. That's just too dangerous. 
Okay, throw somewhere else. You can surely find somewhere else to throw, especially if they're playing man coverage. It shouldn't be that hard. I've seen so many people, when that guy's floating around in the middle of the field and he's cutting underneath crossing routes and things like that, they just go ahead and throw it, and then it's picked off. I mean, that's one of the most predictable results there could be. So find that guy, throw somewhere else. Uh, That that would be uh, my advice. And then finally, uh, in special teams, uh, block all their kicks, uh, return all their kicks for touchdowns, make all the field goals, block all their extra points, uh, and and punt fake every single time. Uh, I think that's how you beat them in special teams. Just kidding, special teams don't seem to matter all that much on this game. Uh, So, wow, that was 15 minutes answering that question. That is plenty. We will never talk about the Browns again on this podcast. Uh, That's all that needed to be said, really. Uh, But yeah, somebody go beat them. That'd be great. Everyone have a good night.